Hey, I'm Jody Butts. Welcome to At Risk, brought to you by Interact. We live in unusual times. They are sometimes difficult to make sense of, but we don't have to do that alone. Today, we can take in the wise words of Haley Wickenheiser. Haley is a four-time Olympic gold medalist, community leader, mentor, history maker, accomplished businesswoman, and soon she will add doctor to her name and list of accomplishments. Throughout her life, Haley has managed the weight of expectations. She's thought about risk in the medical context, as well as on the ice. She has earned a heralded place in the sport that many told her she didn't belong in. And she's even called out the International Olympic Committee when it really deserves it. She's Haley Wickenheiser, a great Canadian who brings valuable perspective to these not so great times. I'm so grateful to have had a chance to speak with her and hope that her thoughtful, no BS counsel helps you press forward during these challenging times. Well, thank you for joining me, Haley, and welcome to At Risk. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jordy. Happy to chat with you today. So tell me, I was reading your diary leading up to the Vancouver Games, been following your Twitter feed and all of the great interventions you've performed throughout the pandemic. How has sport prepared you for becoming a physician and for this particular moment in the pandemic? <laughs> Yeah, I guess, you know, first of all, none of us ever probably thought we'd be in a pandemic in our lifetime. I know I certainly didn't think I'd be finishing medical school in a pandemic, but here we all are. So uh, I think one of the, the things, I, being an athlete, I think athletes in general are some of the most resilient human beings that I've ever come across. And the reason is that at a very young age, when you start competitive sport, you grow up um, learning to live uh, in the unknown and learning to live in a world that is uh, very competitive where there are no guarantees and where your performance really dictates uh, your next step in your career and that's not always the case in many other walks of life and um, you know there's a lot that happens in sport because it's you know as for example in hockey it's a game and you just can't control everything. Uh, one player on the ice uh, certainly can't make everything happen. So it's not necessarily what's happening, it's your ability to react and to pivot and to adapt to all of that. So I think that that's probably the biggest uh, thing that I, I learned through sport. And then obviously when the pandemic hit, um, you know, my mindset around the pandemic is less about, you know, running around uh, panicking or <laughs> putting out fires and more around, okay, well, this is what's happening now. What are we going to do to, what's the next step? You're always constantly forward thinking as an athlete as well. You're always constantly taking information in. You're always uh, adapting to feedback and to criticism to try to elevate yourself to the next level. And so to kind of get mired in negativity doesn't help you in any way, shape or form as an athlete. Uh, the ability to sort of like have a short-term memory is what's really important. And I think that's really important in this pandemic. It's about today and what we can do today to help ourselves get out of this moving forward. 
such a great outlook. And, you know, I think a lot of people, uh, particularly in Ontario right now, are struggling a little bit. I think they um, had, you know, some uh, good supports and and had some guardrails uh, mentally going. But I think um, at this point, uh, when some people thought maybe there wouldn't even be a third wave, it's it's tough to, to, to be in the middle of it. Yeah. And, it, you know, it was very clear to um, to myself and every other colleague I've talked to in medicine at the start of this pandemic, sort of after the first wave, that we were going to have a third wave, a second wave, a third wave. It's it's kind of if you've kind of been living in the medical world where I have been, um, everyone that I've been talking to all along has sort of predicted what's going to happen here. And so I don't think it's a surprise to anybody in the medical community what's going on. And it's just unfortunate. <clears throat> There's, uh, I think, many, many factors that, that lead to this. But for people to live in the constant opening, closing and the constant, you know, am I going to have to take my kids out of daycare, be homeschool? Like, it's just very, very hard and mentally very draining. I think people are zoomed out. Um, you know, the, maybe one one benefit of the pandemic is you don't really have to brush hair and <laughs> get dressed in the morning to go places if you're working from home. But, um, you know, it's, it's mentally been been a slog. And I, I even think of my, my son, he's 21, he's in his almost third year university, been zooming from his bedroom at home. And just the toll on our young people and our kids too has been hard. So I think the whole country is a bit in a bit of a, a grief state. And the only way out of this is to collectively, you know, band together and get as many people vaccinated as possible. Absolutely. And early in the pandemic, um, you know, I felt like I was witnessing you try and harness that collective energy through the uh, Conquer COVID-19 initiative related to uh, gathering necessary equipment and, and personal protective equipment. Um, tell me a little bit, you know, what what was it like? You 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 could see what was happening. I think at this point, all of us were starting to, you know, certainly we're reading stories out of Wuhan, maybe reading stories out of Italy. And, you know, we're, our, our alarm bells were, were, were going off. But, but what was it like for you to appreciate having been in a healthcare setting to realize that, wow, we, we might even have shortages of personal protective equipment for our folks on the front lines? Yeah, well, uh, it was interesting. I mean, I was doing a, an elective at Scarborough uh, Centenary Hospital, which is one of the hardest hit hospitals in Canada right now with COVID. I was in the emergency department and you could kind of, you know, the staff, uh, you know, as the weeks progress, were sort of like, oh, yeah, you know, maybe it'll just blast through everyone, herd immunity and on we go. And then the week before, uh, as medical students, we got sort of yanked out due to PPE shortage. Um, I could feel like the palpable anxiety and tension as, you know, people started to come in and, you know, who I started to see that were that were sick and they were not getting better and they were heading to ICU, really, of, of, of all ages. And so I could feel it. And so I texted actually a friend of mine who's an ICU chief at a hospital in, uh, in Toronto and Dr. Uh, Carol Redstone, actually, and she she ran a hospital through SARS. And I said, what what do you think? And she said, well, this I said, is this going to be like a SARS thing? And she said, oh, no, this is going to be far worse. Brace yourself. And at that point, I knew that this was going to be bad. I just didn't quite know how bad. And then I uh, was getting texts from a lot of my friends across the country saying, you know, we're going to run out, we're going to run out of PPE. Like we don't have any, I think the only province that was actually really prepared was Alberta because one of their purchasers thought ahead and 
and actually uh, procured enough PPE. So Alberta ended up shipping stuff to Ontario eventually. But, um, you know, it was like, how can this be? We're a first world country here. Uh, we're, we're a half of like, how can this be? And I'm in the hospital. And I literally one day went to find an N95 mask to see a patient. I couldn't. And I, and I sort of was living it as well. And uh, so... Um, I just sent out a tweet to say, like, we need PPE, like this, you know, and now we know a year into the pandemic that PPE is saving lives. Like there's, I believe, only been about 20 transmitted healthcare worker COVID transmissions uh, in hospital settings. And, and it's incredible uh, what the PPE has done. Otherwise, we'd all have COVID because we're all around COVID patients. And so um, we just, I just sent this tweet, Ryan Reynolds, um, texted me a few minutes later and said, hey, would you like me to amplify this? And the rest is kind of history. So we we worked with this amazing group, Conquer COVID, and we procured, uh, I, I guess we gave out 3 million items of PPE and raised about $3 million in eight weeks um, to 500 locations across Canada. And so uh, I know looking back now that that campaign and, and those 200 volunteers or so that banded together, they doctors and med students and business people, Good Samaritans, um, I think they saved a lot of lives doing what they did uh, early on, especially in Ontario. Um, and now we're just mobilizing um, for April 28th uh, with a couple of other folks I work with with Conquer COVID to do one more push, which is called, this is our shot. And uh, it very aptly means this is our one shot to either to get the vaccine and to get out of the pandemic. And so it's a, it's a campaign focused on vaccine hesitancy and um, sort of encouraging people to, to understand that the first shot you can get is, you know, the best shot is the first shot that you can get into your arm and, um, and sort of dispel a lot of myths and also put pressure on all of our political leaders to move as fast as possible to get people vaccinated. So um, it's been a whirlwind of a year for sure when I look back, but um, I guess I just sort of fell into it of genuine care and concern for what I was seeing on the front line sort of. Well, thank you for doing that. I'm sure you, in fact, and the efforts of all of um, your community members, you know, save lives. There, there's just no doubt about it. The The line between COVID and healthcare workers was really, uh, you know, manned by PPE. So so thank you for that. Yeah, no, collective effort. It's just amazing what a grassroots or, you know, group of people can do. And I think the same thing is is going to be the case with this is our shot. I mean, it's it's not people are tired, I think, of listening to politicians and they don't know what to what to what to believe, what not to believe with a lot of the media around the vaccines. And so this is just another way to say to people, hey, you know, here's the actual facts. And, you know, athletes, musicians, artists, you know, we're all we're all taking the vaccine that's first given to us. And so should you kind of thing. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Yeah, well, it's awesome because you're meeting people where they are. And, you know, I think uh, one of the things with politicians today is that some have been doing daily press conferences for long periods of time and, you know, they've been out in front. And, um, you know, it's important that people hear from community leaders who they already have a trust relationship with. So mm -hmm. it's it's just so important. Um and, you know, just grateful for, for people willing to, to volunteer their time and efforts towards us. Yeah, no, you're right. And I mean, the fact is, you know, a lot of our, like, I, I say to people all the time, like, where else would you rather be during the pandemic? I'm still very grateful to be Canadian. I'm still very grateful to live in this country. And it's, you know, we shouldn't just throw the weight on our governments or our politicians. It's up to all of us. So, you know, if you think you can do something, do it. And let's collectively band together and let's just 
figure it out. Nobody's ever had to do this before. <laughs> so <laughs> let's, uh, let's just do it together. And, and then the best way through it is to stick together, not tear ourselves apart. So that's, that's where I stand. And that's probably where sport comes in. It's, uh, it's all about, you know, uh, how do we adapt and move forward? Otherwise you just get left in the dust. Yeah. Do you see much of a difference between the kind of um, civic leadership, if I can put it that way, that, that that you're engaging right now versus, you know, leadership in a locker room or, or on the ice? Yeah, you know, not 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 a whole lot. I mean, I probably swear a lot less. <laughs> <laughs> I have to kind of watch, watch myself when I, you know, I laugh. Sometimes I go to the rink and it's like I've reverted back to this language that I... I <laughs> I <laughs> uh, can't really do that in the hospital or, or, you know, in the real world, but um, yeah, I think it's very similar. I mean, I think leadership is leadership and it's about people and, and the best leaders I've been around understand that like your most important asset is the people that you have around you and it's how they're treated and, and how they believe in themselves and in you. It's not necessarily what you know or what you're talking about. So it's about mobilizing people um, and inspiring people and then aligning with people that have sort of the same kind of thought process that you do. So for example, with this is our shot, I mean, it was myself and another gentleman named Guri Panu that kind of come, come up with the, the concept of uh, this t-shirt campaign. But then I reached out to, to Claire Hughes, one of the athletes I know very well, who kind of has been very engaged in the pandemic and then and Arlene Dickinson, who's got a massive presence in the business community and, you know, leaders from all sorts of different walks of life, Jan Arden, Sarah McLaughlin, you know, stepped up right away. And uh, if you didn't even take any convincing, you just ask people and they want to do it. <laughs> so um, I think that, um, you know, just galvanizing the voices of so many Canadians is really going to help, uh, you know, uh, Canadians that aren't sure or that are afraid or that are, you know, tired of watching the news in that manner, uh, think about ways that, you know, they can help, help, we can all get out of it. So very similar to sport, um, takes a team effort always. I wanted to ask you too about values. You've, you've, uh, you know, talked about the, the need for, you know, a successful team to align around its values. And, you know, those values could be the expression of, you know, what does it mean to, to be a good teammate? And, you know, I was curious just to your, to your reflections and for sure the pandemic has been filled with lots of highs and lots of lows, but what, what do you think? Have Canadians been good teammates to each other during this pandemic? It's uh, a good question. Very hit or miss, very hit or miss. I mean, I think Canadians are, I like to think the best of us as Canadians. I, I mean, I certainly know as an athlete, when I travel the world, people Usually when they meet you, they think you're American uh, until they find out you're Canadian. <laughs> and I always enjoyed those moments of someone coming up and saying, oh, where are you from in the U.S.? And I'd say, no, actually, I'm Canadian. And then automatically a huge smile on their face and just this warmth and this kind of like uh, melting <laughs> um, because because we are Canadian and we're known around the world as a country with compassion and humility and that we help other people. And I think in the pandemic, I have seen the best of people and the worst of people, and sometimes in the same person, <laughs> depending, <laughs> depending on the situation and the moment. And, you know, this is unprecedented time. And so everyone has, and myself included, we've all had our good moments. And then we've all had days where we just want to, you know, run to the first plane and hit a beach and break all the rules possible and, you know, do all of those things. But I, I like to think that more, that more than not, um, 
people are really trying. And that's my experience, whether it's, whether it's in the hospital with patients and healthcare, healthcare workers, the people I just come across randomly. I don't personally run into very many instances where, you know, people are, are, are not being kind to each other. But I mean, we know that that exists and that's just part of humanity. Um, but I think it is important to, to remind ourselves that, you know, we are Canadian and that is something that so many millions of people around the world would die to be and would a country that they would die to come to. And uh, it doesn't take, but just click on the news to see how much trouble some other countries in the world are right now, like for example, in India. And, uh, you know, we have to, I think, be grateful for the, the, for what we have and focus on that. So I value, you know, for me in terms of, you know, as a, as a teammate, I always love to look around the dressing room and when I could look in the eyes of my teammates and never have a doubt that every player I was sitting with would do everything they could to, to win or to go to battle and would have my back if something went wrong. Um, those are the kinds of people that I like to surround myself with. And I feel like, um, you know, that's Canada in relation to the world. And we have to remember that and never lose sight of that. But it's very hard in today's world of social media and inflammatory politics and poor leadership and all the things that we witnessed over the past year, at least. Yeah, absolutely. And I would have to think that your experience of playing hockey, which certainly at the time when you were getting started and being successful, um, was, you know, very much a male dominated sport, both in terms of who played it, who gets the money and even just, you know, the media who are covering it. So how, how has that shaped your, your views around, you know, what's important and, and what it means to be a good team member? Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I guess, um, you know, I started, well, it's kind of crazy now. It's like 30, 35 years ago, I started playing hockey, but, um, you know, my life was spent mostly growing up, listening to people say, you don't belong, do something else. There's no future for you. You'll never make any money doing this. If I didn't have, uh, two parents that believed that a girl could do anything a boy could do and, uh, kind of a village in my small town of Shaunavan, Saskatchewan that I grew up in. I had a community there that just kind of propped me up all along the way, whether it was my neighborhood or people in the local rink. They they saw that I had ability and, and they never put barriers up for me. And I was lucky. I was lucky to have that support, I think, when I look back because I developed the ability to not listen to the critical opinion of others for whatever reason and, and also combined with the love um, that I have for, for the game and for sport that just kind of propelled me forward. But sometimes, you know, today people will say, well, you know, aren't you bitter that if you were a male equivalent, you'd be making $10 million a year. And, and I say, no, you know what, it is what it is. I'm proud that, you know, where we are, for example, in women's hockey has advanced to the point where most of the players on the national team today can make a living and, uh, can make a living being a hockey player some way, shape or form. And, uh, we just have to keep, progressing forward that way but there's no doubt I think that women are at a disadvantage in many walks of life um, but it's important for for women as as role models those that have kind of survived and made it through and are in positions of leadership to I think to give back to mentor and I really appreciate that for even in medicine when I get to have an opportunity to work with female physicians um, that can mentor me and teach me. I mean, if I, I, you know, I'll be finishing med school in, in eight days and I look back and 
I've had amazing mentors, but there's six women that have really kind of got me through medicine and, and, uh, and they're rock stars in what they do day in and day out. And so I think, um, you know, those are the people that are going to keep pushing other women forward. And, and so we have to all kind of mentor and advocate for each other, but it's not easy. Um, I think you certainly have to be prepared to go through a lot more than maybe your average male colleague, but, uh, but it's definitely getting better. Now, I wanted to ask you about the role of sport in our recovery. Um, in the federal budget, there was some announcement around monies going to um, sport organizations. Um, still a lot of details to come, but, but how, do you, how do you see sport playing a role in our recovery from this pandemic? Well, I'll steal a line from one of my favorite organizations, Right to Play, and um, their line was when children play, the world wins. And I think uh, right now when children play and kids do sports, our country wins. And uh, money into, um, into sport in this country is incredibly important. I mean, one of the things that I'm most concerned about coming out of this pandemic is a second pandemic in obesity and alcoholism and diabetes and overdoses, um, all the things that we see with delayed patient presentations coming into the emergency department or the family medical office right now of people just hurting. And I think one of the, the greatest gifts that we could give back to our country is the ability to encourage people to get moving um, and to uh, you know, be able to watch our best athletes perform and excel on the world stage. It is something that is inherently so I think fundamentally important to being human and, and also I think something that many Canadians value. So this is, this is really important. It's not just about, you know, funding high performance athletes either. It's about funding the grassroots, which is really going to, you know, keep our country healthy and, and going in the right direction. So um, all of the, the funding and the announcements are, are definitely welcome and they're, they're overdue. It's always been something that, as an athlete, you, you always, you always hope for more funding, more money. Everybody does, but uh, I just see it as, as maybe more important than ever right now um, for, for our country and the health of our nation. Um, and it will have so many trickle down effects to, to uh, other areas as well. Yeah. One of the things I've been thinking about in terms of that role of sport. So once we, you know, uh, get to a position where, um, physical distancing restrictions can uh, be relaxed. You know, one of the nice things about sport, and I guess I say this as someone who's not particularly coordinated or athletic myself, but one of the things I used to like about sports was as, you know, an awkward kid, sometimes it's nice to have ground rules around engagement, right? And, and you know, I think about my my own kids who, who are teenagers, you know, they've missed out a lot of missed out on a lot of time to like just practice being around other kids and sport is a nice is a nice way to to kind of re-engage too yeah well that's this is just it like you know so many kids that's their social out, outlet that's their you know our kids are under so much are under stressors and often the way that that children will manage their stresses you know their, their friends their sports their activity in the playground like all of these things and and a lot of that has been taken away from our kids. So it's so important to get them back to just sort of the baseline of, of how they how they can cope and how they socially interact. And I think, you know, as humans, we are social creatures. We need that that interaction and, and sport is that outlet that provides that. So it's vitally important 
Um, and, and not only that, it's, you know, it, it instills hope. It instills something to live for or something to push for. Um, as much as, you know, I hope the Olympics in, in, in Tokyo can go ahead. I, I also hope that it, if they, if they are safely, uh, held that, you know, the athletes <clears throat> performing in the summer Olympics, when people turn on the TV, that they, they feel a little inspiration because that's what I think the Olympics and Canadian athletes have always done for Canadians. So it's, it's all intertwined and it's all very important. Yeah. Speaking of the Olympics and, and the IOC, you know, they've been a bit challenged, I think, through this process, um, like so many organizations, um, you know, the pandemic exacerbates an organization's weaknesses, whether you're a country, a PTA or, you know, the Olympic uh, organizing committee. Um, do, do you feel like the Olympics are are kind of resettling themselves and, and, and are on a pathway, you know, a, a of improvement and progress or, or are they, are they a little bit paralyzed by this moment? Well, I think it's, it's actually been in sort of a great, um, a great way to uncover a little bit of the weaknesses of the IOC. If, if I can say it like that, in the sense that there was, you know, early on in the pandemic, almost I, I, I am on the IOC. I go to the meetings. I, I listen to the meetings, I guess on zoom now, but I felt uh, there was a bit of an arrogance almost that existed that, you know, well, we are the IOC. We will, of course, we will hold the Olympics last summer. And it was like, are you crazy? You're going to hold the Olympics. It's freaking pandemic. And, you know, I'm talking to all my friends who are physicians in sport and I'm like, you know, is this, is this, this can't happen. And they're like, there's no chance. And so, you know, they were delayed in, in their ability to postpone it. And, and so sometimes um, the, the ego and the arrogance of the entity that is the IOC, which I look at as almost a bit of a dictatorship, quite frankly, um, you know, I think has been tripped up in this pandemic in a good way. They've had to look at themselves and say, okay, maybe we aren't, you know, who we portray ourselves to be. We can't fix everything, even a pandemic. And even going into the Olympics in, in Japan, I'm, I'm still not certain that they can be held safely. I mean, I suppose we still have two months to figure that out, but in the end, I don't know that it's the IOC that will make that decision. I think it will be the Japanese government that will have to ultimately make that decision. Um, but, you know, the IOC sometimes loses sight that the games are forward about the athletes. And if we can't keep athletes safe and the entourage that comes with them, then the game shouldn't be held. And so this is something I wrestle with because I most of much of what I have in my life is through the Olympic Games, yet I find at the very highest level of the IOC, um, much of it is frustrating uh, to delve through the politics of sport. And many days, I wish I just didn't know what went on. <laughs> <laughs> well, really, you you played a part in in rightfully uh, getting the the Olympics um, uh, postponed last summer. Yeah, I think I, well, I was the first athlete in the world as an IOC member as well. To I tweeted it, and I I, I really kind of hummed and hawed because I'm not really the type of person that uh, I don't mind rocking the boat if if I believe strongly. But I I do believe you know you you try to you try to give people the opportunity inside to fix things first, and I I knew that that wasn't going to happen. Um, I would just be dismissed and you know just a small cog in a big wheel. So I, you know, I hummed and hawed and I thought, nope, you know what, I was, uh, I was voted into the IOC Athletes Commission for a reason, which is to advocate for the athletes of the world. And this is my job and I'm not doing my job if I'm not knowing what I know about medicine and, 
knowing what I know about the IOC, this is the right move. And so I think history, you know, I got, I got my hand slapped pretty good from the IOC for that one. Um, but, you know, I don't care. Um, and I think history, looking back, we, we know what was the right decision, what had to happen. And they were just moving far too slow or trying to, I don't know what they were trying to do. But, um, you know, in the end, I hope that the, the decisions around Tokyo happening, um, my concern is that it just doesn't turn into another super spreader event, which is, which is, I think, a concern of many people. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I say that acknowledging that sport has, you know, really been um, a big part of how, you know, we as a family have been, you know, passing our time and, and frankly, coping through the many lockdowns yeah. where we're all big tennis fans. We, we love watching tennis. There's some great Canadian tennis players yeah. right now who are also really exciting to watch. Um, and, you know, the fact that, you know, the tournaments have been able to uh, be played has been a real bright spot for us. Um, but it's a much smaller undertaking. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think even the Australian Open had some challenges there too. And, um, you know, you look at, you know, my barometer is kind of in the NHL because I, you know, I'm intimately intertwined with the Toronto Maple Leafs and, and being going to the facility. And, you know, every day I go to the facility, I'm tested twice. I'm t- given a PCR and a rapid test. Um, and they have the money and the means to kind of bubble and make it incredibly controlled. And hence why I think you haven't seen a, a massive outbreak there. But then you look at other teams that haven't been as regulated and, you know, the entire team gets COVID, unfortunately. So I just wonder and, and worry uh, in, a, in an Olympic village of uh, 17,000 people how that all works. And, uh, you know, I leave that up to people far smarter than me, but I think it is a legitimate concern. And, um, you know, Japan has a, last I checked, a 1% of their population was vaccinated. So um, I, I don't know. It's, there's a lot of questions left unanswered, I think. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, this whole discussion and it's the subject of this podcast is risk. So I wanted to ask you about your, your thoughts on risk. You, you had um, discussed it a little bit um, in your diary leading up to the, to the Vancouver Games um, following the, uh, the tragic death of the Georgian loser, mm-hmm. um, that, that, you know, you, you reflected a bit on, on the risks, uh, of your own sport. Can can you share your thoughts with us? Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, I, I suppose in, in life in general, I'm sort of moderately risky, maybe slightly risky in, in medicine. I'm, I'm very risk adverse. I wouldn't say that I, I would practice medicine as a cowboy at all. I think it's it's always about patient care. But but then I look at myself as an athlete and I think, oh, I'm I go for it. Like I'm totally risky. I <laughs> throw caution into the wind. And so it's just interesting how when you float through different aspects of your life, you have sort of different tolerances to risk. And uh, you know, right now, even looking at you know the vaccine and just people's sort of thinking around risk tolerance with getting AstraZeneca, it's fascinating to hear people sort of ration why they they would or wouldn't get it and what their risk tolerance might be. So I think we all have our sort of own inner barometer. And for me, um, I think I'm, I'm calculated. So I, I tend to kind of go through all the steps. And, um, and if I feel like, you know, the, the you know, the odds are good and I can, can execute the way I want. I'm generally a person that will go for it um, and, and not sit back, but um, certainly not without sort of making a calculated, calculated thought. However, as a hockey player, I feel like 
I was a good, good at what I did and had success because I often threw caution to the wind and just went for it. I, I tended not to um, be a rule follower in the sense of abiding just to strict systems on the ice and things like this. So I used intuition and I used, uh, you know, um, kind of my senses versus logic. And so it depends on what, what area of life, but um, far more, you know, the thrill of going for it is certainly what I like to do. I just need to be in a position where I feel like I'm prepared to do it. So that's kind of how I look at risk. And, and uh, I guess everybody has their own sort of uh, barometer for that. Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, I think um, one of the lesser explored aspects of risk is around the communications. And, you know, I think um, throughout the pandemic and just generally true, you know, uh, there's been some really great communication tools um, like the the Swiss cheese model showing how layers of protection, uh, you know, can help you um, not, uh, get COVID, not because any one layer is perfect, but because of the cumulative effect of the layers. But the other one most recently that I saw that that was so great was just, um, lining up different risks that were greater, uh, than any risks associated with AstraZeneca. And I'm like, yeah, visual. Some of us are visual. <laughs> yeah. You know what? That's very true. I think I saw that, uh, what do you call it meme or that, that graphic of, uh, the birth control pill versus, um, AstraZeneca versus, you know, a, a blood clot on an airplane. It's funny how, you know, I think of how many times I've jumped on a plane and I think there's, you know, 400 times more likely to get a blood clot on a plane than to get a, a central venous thrombosis from a, from an AstraZeneca vaccine. So, um, I, you know, it's, it is interesting how the hysteria and just the different ways of communicating to people can really perpetuate, uh, quite frankly, which is, which is, a, which is a myth or untruth that it is a dangerous thing when we every day are taking far greater risks by getting in the car to go places or taking other medications that have higher risks. So, um, you know, it just, it, I think it speaks to also fatigue. Also the fact that people are just so like, if I think after COVID's over, like if somebody ever mentioned COVID again, that would be not a good idea, um, you know, and, and just uh, the, the pandemic and just like enough already. And, and so people are overloaded. And so just, I think being creative and it's amazing to see some of the folks on social media or in the media that are coming up with creative ways to spread the, the, the truth of, of science of what we know about the vaccines. That's what we really need to do and sort of dispel the, the, the myths that aren't true. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, on this podcast, we had Cass Sunstein on and he's a Harvard law prof, but he's also written a lot about nudges and, and, um, how our human psychology impacts, um, the messages that are directed at us. And, and he, he summed it up as Jody psychology changes everything and we ignore it at our peril. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. That is very true. So speaking of psychology, I want to talk to you about expectations because surely you, pro as, as a Canadian, you, you're probably, you know, one of the few uh, small number of Canadians who, who have carried such big expectations uh, on their shoulders. I, I wanted to ask you, what, what, what's your advice ar around expectations? Well, I think I always say, pre you know, as pressure is a privilege that, you know, people wouldn't ask you to do something or be something if they didn't believe that you could actually do it. And so um, one of the things, you know, one of the, the, the kind of moments that illustrates that was the Vancouver Olympics in 2010, where 
you know, the media, again, back to this media and psychology, they, they kept talking to a lot of Olympic athletes in the country. And, oh, you know, the, the weight of the nation, are you sure you can perform in your own country? And it's like, you know, do you want your athletes to perform or not? But it's self, this self-perpetuating like negativity that we can be as Canadians is, you know, oh, do you think you can really do it? And so as a team, we just decided like, we're going to flip the narrative uh, to not, you know, the weight of the nation on top of us, but rather the weight of the nation behind us, pushing us forward as the seventh man in the stand, so to speak, sort of propelling us, 35 million people behind us, uh, not pushing us down. And not, not one Canadian would hopefully want us to lose. They all want us to win, of course. But I, so I think it's the way in which you think about pressure and expectations. And we can sometimes see that as a burden or we can see it as, wow, people really believe in us to get the job done. So let's get it done. And so then my second thought around expectations is the only thing that I can control is my ability to prepare for, to perform. And then I have to be able to let it go. Uh, the rest is, is out of my control. And so I always believed as an athlete, um, when I stepped on any, into any gold medal final at the Olympic games, I, I had this, uh, you know, inevitably a couple days before the Olympic gold medal final, I was like a nervous wreck and, I'd be like, oh my God, if we lose, and I'd go through this sort of catastrophizing mentality. And then I, I would let myself like catastrophize for an hour. And then I would say, okay, for the rest of the day, you're just going to not think about it. And then as we creep closer to the gold medal day, it was a weird thing where I would ultimately be become kind of stressed to like super calm because I truly believed deep down that I had done everything I humanly could to be prepared for that moment. And all I had to do was perform and the rest was kind of out of my control. And so it was a way for me to kind of control what I could and to, to sort of manage those expectations. And I, I feel the same way in medicine where, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot I know now, but there's still so much that I don't know. And so the only thing I can do is prepare to do my best and I have to just continually evolve and be okay with failing along the way. And failing forward, so to speak. And so that's kind of how I, how I see it. And, uh, and I believe that, uh, that my preparation has really kind of helped me manage those through the years, but also the mentality of uh, glass half full sort of thinking versus a burden is something that's much healthier to be able to manage. Yeah, it's, it's very inspiring because I think, you know, at, um, you know, no matter who you are, I think at, at some level, you're, you're managing expectations. Maybe it's parents, maybe it's peers, maybe it's your boss. Um, but I think it's something we, we, we all have to struggle with and find our, our way through it. And as you say, turn it into an advantage. Yeah, for sure. And rely on the people around you too. Like nobody gets through life alone, I think. And so, you know, I, I just think back to all the great teams and teammates and, even going through medical school. I mean, I could not have gotten through medical school without my coveted friends that kind of all helped each other. So, you, you know, you, you don't have to take the burden on alone at times too. I think um, that's really helpful as well to know. Yeah, I think, I think for sure. And particularly, you know, during a period um, where, you know, we are at the very least physical distancing and, you know, for the most part, social distancing as well. Um, you know, it's, it's a good message to, to that, that you just need to hear. You can't hear it enough that, that, that we're not alone. 
Yeah, for sure. No, it's, uh, and it's hard because right now people are, I think so many people feel alone, um, isolated, wondering what is everyone else doing outside of your house <laughs> at times, you know, and so finding ways to, to connect um, is a challenge for all of us. So you're just about to, I guess, officially be, uh, be a licensed as a physician. Is that where you're at in your training? Yeah, I think I could officially say I'm a, I'm a doctor on uh, April uh, 30th after my last exam. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm very, very close. It's, uh, it's strange. It's been a long journey, something I've thought about since I was 10 years old, actually just wanting to, to go and finish medicine. So um, yeah, very, very exciting and um, a long three years, but it goes by very fast as well. Um, well, first off, huge congratulations. And I just thought maybe a nice way of wrapping up our conversation was to give you an opportunity to, uh, to, you know, say a few words to your soon to be uh, fellow physicians during what is a really difficult time in a lot of parts of the country right now. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I guess, um, first of all, I just, I, I don't know, it's been, uh, it's been a year. <laughs> it's been, it's been a year. I've seen, uh, I've seen, I can't, I guess, varying degrees of emotion in inside the hospital or, or with people in medicine that I've encountered, whether it's, you know, just it's everyone, it's the nursing staff, it's, you know, porters in the hospital, it's ICU docs, MERC docs, family docs. So I, I think, I do think that we are, there is a light here. Uh, you know, we have an influx of vaccines coming, we are close. And I know everybody keeps saying that, but I do think we are. And so my message is to hold on to find ways to kind of put the oxygen mask on yourself first so that you can continue to take care of other people because it's a drain, it's tiring, but this is why we all went into this profession, I think, is uh, is to help people and that's what we're here to do. And so keep on keeping on and, and I think really, really important to take care of yourselves and your families first. That's, that's the most important thing and then everybody else can be helped after that. But um, I'm very proud to be part of the medical community here in Canada. I've seen some absolutely incredible things throughout this pandemic of empathy and compassion and medicine at its best. And, and there's no other country in the world that I would want to be in uh, during a pandemic. Um, our healthcare system is on the verge of, uh, I guess, overwhelmed, being overwhelmed. And, um, you know, the burden is so heavy, but at the same time, the people inside of it make it make it work. And that's who will always make it work. So thank you to everyone out there doing your thing. Keep going and um, proud to be Canadian. Thank you so much, Haley. Thank you for all of your leadership and the inspiration that you've been providing to the country for so many years and continue to do so in what is a, a really difficult moment. And we'll all be sure to go get our shot. Yeah, and get your shot for sure. <laughs> that's that's our best way out of this. So thank you very much for having me, Jody. It was a lot of fun. Thank you.